This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up With a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. And it occurred to me, you know, I say that every week, right? I'm delighted, as always, to be here with you today. I don't want you guys to think that that is a pro forma thing that I say. I am genuinely and legitimately delighted to be here with you. It really is just such a great thing that modern technology has brought us to a point where I can just talk to you guys, uh, separate and aside from the books that I write, which I also like to think of as being part of a great ongoing conversation that all of us have about cats. And speaking about conversations about cats, that was Clayton chiming in. Clayton is very, very feisty. This morning, uh, or or attention seeking, I I think is perhaps a better way of putting it. What's the matter, Clay man? What's the matter? Uh, so there you go. Clayton speaks at long last, and Clayton. This is what Clayton does to me all day. Clayton, it, it's actually interesting that this is happening on today's episode because. Later on in today's episode, we are going to be speaking with. Uh, Journalist, filmmaker, cat mom extraordinaire, and my very dear friend, the delightfully named Melanie Morningstar, will be joining us from Sydney, Australia. And we will be talking about two cats who Melanie has adopted in recent years, both of whom are special needs. Uh, by dint of their, by dint of the fact that they have special emotional needs, uh, both cats have suffered great abuse in the past and as a result uh, were and and are cats who do not bond well or easily with people let's say these are not cuddly sweet crawl into your lap cats and and Melanie is going to talk a, a little bit about the challenges and the rewards of adopting and working with cats who have special emotional needs and and the, so the reason I am I'm chuckling a little bit is not at all because this is a humorous subject, uh, but because when Melanie, and you will hear her talk about how her, these are, are cats who, who really are just very reluctant to be touched or to be cuddled, they, they are very afraid because the human attention that they've received in the past has been so dangerous for them and, and painful, uh, who are really not seeking human attention. And of course, all the way <laughs> at the other end of that spectrum is my cat, Clayton, who who cannot get enough human attention, and who even now, as I am talking, and he's being quiet, but he he is circling my chair and and bonking my ankles with his head, and is just very frustrated that I'm not paying attention to him. So so that's coming up later on in today's episode, and. It's a topic that I, I wanted to address for a number of reasons. And one obviously is, is my, my own history with adopting special needs cats or with advocating for special needs cat adoption. Although I do want to be clear, 
that there is literally no such thing as a bad rescue. So I am in no way besmirching anybody who adopts a a cat who is perfectly healthy and quote unquote normal uh, physically, emotionally across the board. There is literally no such thing as a bad rescue. Any rescue is saving a life. And I, I say this because I have one very dear friend, another dear friend who is a cat mom and who was actually a journalist for Time Magazine at the time that I met. That's how we met, is she was somebody who covered Homer's Odyssey when it first came out, low these many years ago. And she and I have since become very good friends. And she kind of still tortures herself with the memory of a club-footed kitten who she did not adopt at her local ASPCA. And and she wa- she wasn't sure that she was the right person for this cat, and she ended up adopting another cat who did not have any physical health issues. And I think she thought that I was going to judge her like I had adopted a cat with no eyes. And so if she had not chosen to adopt this cat with a club foot that that I I don't know, that I in some way judge her or her rescue to be lesser than my own. And of course, nothing could be further from the truth. And the thing that I always tell her to to kind of assuage whatever residual guilt she she still seems to feel about this is that there is no such thing as a bad rescue. And so I do want to emphasize that. By the same token, I, this is a topic, though, that I have wanted to discuss because you, you we always, as, as cat lovers, we always talk about this idea that our cats choose us. And I, I certainly think that that is very often the case. And it is a lovely and and very romantic idea. But it is, of course, not always the case, right, that our cats choose us. And this was actually something that I wrote about in, in the first essay in my collection, My Life in a Cat House. Uh, for those of you who have read it will know that my cat Scarlet and I, it was almost like an arranged marriage. I, I wanted to adopt a kitten. My mechanic or my my boyfriend's sister's mechanic at the time had found this litter of kittens who needed a home. And so I committed to taking one of these kittens and Scarlet was not a particularly affectionate cat. And I don't know, while she certainly needed a human's physical care, I don't think Scarlet would have fared well for herself out in the wild as a feral cat. She really did not need anything emotionally from humans, certainly not when I first adopted her. And we did fall in love with each other, but it was very much a relationship that that grew between us and that was based on a lot of mutual effort and 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 mutual understanding that developed over a period of months and years. And it was certainly a very rewarding experience. It was an incredibly rewarding experience, but it was not the case that she chose me or even necessarily that I chose her. We, Like I said, it was sort of like an arranged marriage. Uh, I, I would encourage those of you, and I rarely do this, I, I try not to, to do such blatant pushes for my own writing, uh, but if you have not yet read My Life in a Cat House, I, I certainly hope you will do so. I do feel that this story, and it's the first story in the collection, it's called I Choo Choo Choose You. And I actually, you know, I, I, I have a long and grand tradition of not really liking the things that I write. I'm not really a huge fan of my own writing. 
every so often though I write something that I I actually think is pretty good. And and I think that story about Scarlet is actually one of my better pieces of writing. It's it's probably my favorite thing that I have written. Um which does not necessarily count for much, but but there you have it. That's my opinion. Uh, I, I do find it very difficult to read things that I have written. I, I find myself cringing. Um, I, I It just never seems quite good enough, which I always think is one of those things that on the one hand, that is what makes you, whatever your creative endeavor is, not quite being satisfied with what you do is what makes you keep pushing yourself to be better but of course, on the other hand, it can also just lead to all kinds of neuroses and insecurities and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but that is, of course, this is this is a, a podcast and not a therapy session. So we will move on from that topic. But uh, yes, uh, Melanie is, is here to discuss a, a subject that is very near and dear to my heart. And also to, in a broader context, to discuss the relationships that we have sometimes with our pets that do need work. And it doesn't always have to be a question of an animal having an, an abuse, a background of abuse or or hostility or aggression. Again, as we all know, our, our cats all have their, their quirks and their foibles. And some cats do require a little bit more effort to understand than others. And so I, I don't want to, to dismiss this idea that, that our cats choose us, because I do think that that very often is the case. I, I just don't want to normalize that so much that it, it makes it seem like people who find themselves in a relationship with a cat that is taking a little bit or a lot of work think that something is wrong, that something is not going the way it's supposed to, uh, because that is not the case. And just like with any other, you know, marriage, I, I, as a, as a person who's been married for a while, um, I, I definitely, I am in love with my husband who I believe is in love with me, but that does not mean that we sail every day of our lives in sunny waters or that marriage does not take work. And I, I think any worthwhile relationship takes a little bit of work and that certainly can and often does include our relationships with our cats. Anyway, uh, we Melanie and I, because we are old friends catching up, so it's a little bit of a long conversation, and I want to leave plenty of time for that. So I am going to get right to thanking my Patreon supporters, giving them their monthly shout out. And of course, it is thanks to you, my Patreon community, that I am able to produce this podcast and to write my books independently of corporate sponsorships or traditional publishing companies. And um, I encourage you to to check out my Patreon community and all the fun perks that Patreon supporters get. You can go to patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper, and that's P as in Peter, A, T as in Thomas, R as in Robert, E, O, N as in Nancy, dot com slash Gwen Cooper. If you didn't hear your name last week and you don't hear your name this week and you are a Patreon supporter at the $5 level or higher, uh, rest assured that you will hear your name next week. And so a big thank you to Janice Rogensky, Sarah Hakeys, Kathy Schlichterlein, Margaret Ald-Louis, Stephanie Peters, Heather Ham- sorry, Heather Hambrick, Eileen Kaiser, Wendy Lynch, Shannon Carter, Ronna Miller-Owen, Zoe Shino, Amy Norris, Kathleen Winger, 
Catherine Birch, Susan Ann Cadlick, Therese England, Patty Ackerman, Allison Walls, Julie Garrett, Mary de la Cruz, Charles Brackney, Michelle Zerickney, Jeffrey Lewis, and Kaylee Quimby. And of course, if I have mispronounced your name, I am so, so sorry. And please do feel free to send me an email at Gwen at GwenCooper.com correcting my error. Big, big thank you to to all of you for your incredible support. And, and even more, by the way, than, than the financial support that allows me to keep doing this is is just the knowledge that that you guys are in my corner and and the moral support that comes along with it um, really does keep me going. And on that note, we are going to take a brief pause of about 30 seconds or so. And when we come back, we will be speaking with Melanie Morningstar. So sit back, relax, get comfortable and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. for sticking around. I am truly thrilled to introduce today's guest, a journalist and filmmaker with a long and distinguished career during which she's worked for storied outlets, including, but not limited to, Time, A Current Affair, The Evening Standard, and 60 Minutes. As a producer for 60 Minutes Australia, she spent three months traversing Honduras and Guatemala, hunting down and ultimately assisting in the capture of Robert Dolly Dunn, who is Australia's most wanted criminal at the time. Her films have been official selections at numerous international festivals, including the Key West Film Festival, the Berlin Film Festival, and the Cannes Film Festival. She currently lives in Sydney, Australia, but has previously lived in Columbia, Los Angeles, and, of course, South Beach, Florida, where she and I first met nearly 25 years ago on adjacent bar stools at 821 on Lincoln Road. Please join me in giving a warm welcome to Melanie Morningstar, the, the, the lovely named Melanie Morningstar. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, great. You know, it's, it's Sydney summertime. The weather's crazy. Some days it's like 100 degrees. Some days it's like 50 and raining, you know. So, you know, typical Sydney summertime. I, I hate being that that sort of ignorant American, but it is really always hard for me to get my head around the idea that it's summer for you right now, even though it's January. Correct. Correct. In fact, I once had a friend when I was living in New York who said to me, she was going to Australia and she said, uh, now this was this was December, right? So she was coming in the summertime. And she said to me, now when I get to Australia, it's going to be July, right? Because in her mind, July was summer, right? She could just couldn't get her head around the fact that it was that she was it's the same calendar, just different yeah. weather associated. I mean, I sort of get that obviously growing up in Miami where it's warm all year round. So our January was, was still pretty, pretty balmy. And, uh, you know, I can't believe it is it is 
so long ago since you and I first met. And you were really, I guess, the person who spans kind of both parts of my writing career where I was first writing, you know, about South Beach and Scandal and things like that. And, and now I write about cats and, and other warm hearted and, and more positive things. And I don't even think I knew when you were living on South Beach and, and we were friends there that you were a cat person. Uh, I had a cat. I rescued Shirley from, you remember Hurricane Andrew? Uh, of course. Uh, I, w- I went out there. I, I'd only been in Miami Beach about a month, I think, when that hit. <laughs> Welcome to and, Miami. <laughs> yeah, right. And um, so I went out there, obviously, to take photos. I was doing, um, like, uh, voice uh, interviews with the Current Affair US with um uh, Steve Dunleavy, and um, so I was out there sort of doing a, what they call a colour piece, just describing what it was that I was seeing, and I heard this plaintive little meow, and I I, um, I dug this tiny little cat out of the rubble, oh. and um, I went and dropped her at the shelter, and they said, well, are, are you going to take her? And I said, well, I hadn't planned on it, and they said, well, you know, we'll have to, you know, put her down I said I'll be back at five I'll pick her up so there was this big note on the on her on her cage saying Melanie Morningstar will be back by five to pick this cat up so that was dear little Shirley and um, yeah we grew up together I took her out to LA when I moved out to LA we were together for about 14 years I think that is a, a long time and was she the was she your first cat no, I've had cats since I was 18 or 17, really. My first cat uh, was this gorgeous little Russian blue who I named Maya who didn't have a collar and um, it was the days before microchips and uh, she just basically followed me home and I'd stop and turn around and she'd still be behind me. She was just a kitten. And um, so I took her home and looked after her. I put, you know, uh, notes on um, uh, electric poles and notes in um, local shops and stuff, you know, is this your cat? And uh, no one ever answered me. So Maya was my first cat. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to use this actually as, as a segue, that, that story, because of course, we, we we always talk as as cat lovers about how cats choose us, and and there really is this um, this idea, this almost mystical idea that that the cats we are meant to be with choose us, that it is at least as much their choice as it is our choice. But sometimes it really is our choice, and and the cat emphatically has not chosen us. And this is actually part of what I want to discuss with you today that the, the reason specifically that I wanted you on the show, other than the fact that I have not talked to you for so long, and I just love hearing your Australian accent on the other end of my microphone. Um, but you you are currently living with a cat. You've rescued a cat named Jeremy, and you recently lost a cat named Gypsy. And both of these are cats who I would call special needs, not because of any physical differences or disabilities that they may have, but because emotionally uh, they have been through some traumatic experiences that make it very difficult for them to bond with humans. And of course, this is the kind of thing that can lead to cats languishing in shelters. Many cats obviously don't make it out of shelters or or in an open intake shelter environment are, are put down because of this. And and these are these are the kinds of cats you've specifically requested and and chosen to adopt. So I want to talk to you a little bit about 
you, you know, about Jeremy and Gypsy and, and their personalities and what it is that has drawn you specifically to these cats who, who can find it difficult to bond with people. Um, let's talk about a little bit about Jeremy at first. Why don't you, you tell us how he has come to live with you? Well, this is an amazing story. I think it's an amazing story in retrospect. Um, my friends had made a donation in Gypsy's name to the RSPCA, which is like the ASPCA in America. And I'm sorry, and just about just to give a, we, we are going to talk about Gypsy too, but you had recently lost Gypsy at, at this yes, point. I had recently, I had recently lost Gypsy about, uh, I was about two months at that point or maybe three months. And so they made a donation in Gypsy's name to the RSPCA and I got a card for them saying that um, I was Jeremy's guardian angel over Christmas while he looked for his forever home. And um, I thought about it for a couple of days and I didn't know whether I was ready to get another cat. And then I called the RSPCA and I said, is Jeremy a real cat or is this like a generic photo that you send out? And they said, no, no, he's a real cat. And I said, well, I want to adopt him. And uh, he was in the Hunter region, which is about four hours north of Sydney. So they put me through to them. And um, I said that, you know, I I wanted to adopt him. And they were uh, very reluctant at first because he has what can only be called psychological problems. He was a a little kitten that was adopted out from the RSPCA and then they heard he was being abused and they brought him back at three months. And this is now two months later and he, like, is this timid, scared little thing. And um, so they wanted me to um, foster him for a couple of weeks to see if uh, we could live together. And then at the end of two weeks I just called them and said, yeah, I want to adopt him. So um, it's been... It's it, it's an interesting journey because um, they drove him down on on New Year's Day from uh, the shelter up north, and um, they had his uh, little cat box and uh, uh, blankies and stuff like that. And the guy told me that he needed to be in a room by himself with the litter and food in the room and the blankie and um, not to disturb him. Right, so. I did that for two weeks and then as soon as I adopted him, I put the litter in the bathroom so he's only being fed in the bedroom now and um, he's he's very, very, very frightened and um, he, although he has come to my bed and sat there for a while, he loves his cat tree. In fact, he's sleeping in it at the moment. So it's taken. It's we're on our. We're starting our third week together. But um, when I was giving him treats in bed the other night, I accidentally brushed his ear, and he like totally freaked out. He's hyper vigilant, except when he's sleeping. He's hyper vigilant, and he meows a lot all the time. And I can't really understand. The circumstance, I mean, obviously for breakfast and dinner that I get and treats and stuff, but, you know, I'll just walk by him and it'll start meowing and I just wish I knew what it was that he wanted to talk to me about. But, you know, he's a darling. This is going to take a long time. Um, You know, when cats are abused, as was Gypsy, um, it's muscle memory for them and um, it's just going to take a long time for him to realise that this is his forever home and all, uh, you know, I live in... And that he's safe. 
and that he's safe with you. Tell us a little bit about Gypsy. I know that that your relationship with Gypsy was very up and down and and that there were some physical encounters, that there were times where Gypsy reacted physically uh, uh, with some physical aggression against you. Tell us a little bit about Gypsy and and how you came to adopt her and and what she was Uh, like. Well, I took a friend of mine to the Cat Society, which is a no-kill shelter not far from where I live. My friend didn't have a car, so she wanted to get a kitten. So I said, well, look, I'll drive you there. And and while she was downstairs playing with the kittens, I just had this, like, flash, and I said to the the nurse there, "Um, uh, where are the older cats? What's the cat that's been here the longest? And so she took me upstairs she took me to Gypsy and she said, um, this is a cat that's been here the longest. She's um, uh, She won't be touched. You can probably touch her sort of between her ears, but she won't be touched. She's, uh, she's mean and, um, you know, we're a no-kill shelter, so she'll spend the rest of her life here. So that was, she'd been there for two years already in this basically tiny little cage and I mean it wasn't abuse or anything she just you know didn't have a life so I said wait I'm going to uh, and and this is where because I I I do want to say um you know as a person who loves animals and I've lived with animals my entire life and obviously one of the great joys of living with an animal is is that tactile pleasure of of petting an animal of of petting a cat or a dog having them snuggle up with you and so you were signing up from the get-go for the possibility of never having that with this cat who was not in danger of being put down. And so I'm I'm sure you're getting to that part of the story, but I'm curious to know what it was, what made you say to yourself, you know, th- this this is the cat that I'm going to bring home. Well, it was arrogance because <laughs> I said, I'm a cat whisperer. I can fix this cat up. No problem. Right. How'd that work so, out for you? <laughs> uh, well, you know, at t- well, it's very interesting because um, she knew she was loved. She knew she was safe. She had been so badly abused that by the time they got got her to the shelter, the vet had to pull out all but three of her teeth because they were so rotten. Oh, that is awful. Uh, I, I, that that is uh, that is really upsetting yeah. to hear. Yeah. And um, her backstory basically was she was a house cat and they got a puppy and she didn't get on with the cat, with the puppy, so they threw her out. And I don't know how long she was outside for, but I think she'd been on the street for quite some time. Oh, they literally just threw her out of, like, just threw her out of the house one day. Just put her, like, opened the door, shoved her out and said, you're on your own now. Yeah, that's a story that I heard, yeah. So, um Yeah, so I I really thought that, I mean, I knew I could provide a loving home for her and she actually had, they told me she had like um, kidney problems and I thought I was taking an old cat home to die. Sure. And that that was like a karmic thing that I was going to give this cat for however long she lasted. Which is in and of itself a lovely, lovely thing to do, by the way. Thank you. Well, I I didn't see it like that. I just saw it as like, you know, I do believe that um, that animals come into our lives for a reason and um, Gypsy, you know, I mean, if I hadn't gone upstairs and asked for the oldest cats, I would never have had her. So um, it was, uh, it, I don't know, I just was, you know, drawn upstairs. So, um, I mean, kittens are easy to adopt. There's no problem sure. there. But I thought, you know, who's the oldest cat, you know? So anyway... 
So I brought her home and at the time I was living in a little studio, I mean a really tiny little studio, and um, she would sleep on the bed because basically that was the only soft thing in the studio. And um, So she was not a, a friendly cat, but the two of you were really forced into proximity with each other. Correct, correct, correct. And, um, you know, I fed her and I just vibed love and um, she would sometimes, like when I was going to the kitchen and it happened in this apartment too, which is a large two-bedroom apartment, which I moved into like three years ago, um, she, I'm like walking to the kitchen and she'll just attack me, bite me, scratch me, and she really have a go at me. There were actually a couple of times when I was quite scared, actually, that I thought she was going to do serious damage. She'd lock onto my leg and wouldn't let go. And I'm like, how do I get, get this cat off me without hurting her, you know? Sure. And um, so uh, a couple of times I had to sort of like grab her around the waist, which was the only way I was sure she couldn't like bite me or anything, and um, get her off my my leg and take her into the bedroom and just close the door and let her calm down. And there are other times when she bit me and scratched me and then she'd look at me like like she didn't know why she'd done it. She like it, it was like like there was this look of horror on her face and it was like and you know I mean I took great great care of Gypsy. I used to say I lived in Gypsy's world. You know from time to time I'd give her sashimi and um I always gave her, um, uh, like sometimes I gave her chicken. I always gave her a little taste of anything I was eating. She loved blue cheese. and uh, she Sashimi was, and blue cheese doesn't sound bad to me, by the way. <laughs> you're giving me right, ideas for dinner. <laughs> no, absolutely. And um, she, we had this ritual uh, at night where uh, we'd climb into bed and I would give her a treat, you know, those... Uh, I don't know, you probably have them there, fancy feast kisses where the, the, um, the, the, the treat is in a tube and you have to like squeeze yes. it out. Yeah, yeah, we, we have something similar, yeah. Right, yeah, so uh, we used to have this nighttime ritual and as soon as the lights went out in the living room, she scampered down the, the hall to the bedroom. we get into bed, I'd give her a treat and she never attacked me in bed, not once ever. I, you know, I, I do want to to ask because and, and I'm sure it's the same in Australia here. Most no kill shelter, if you adopt a cat from a no kill shelter and it, and it does not work out, certainly if there's physical aggression and such that you feel you cannot keep the cat, they will take the cat back. That That is an option. That's a, it's, it's obviously not something that you necessarily want to encourage that somebody brings home a cat with the idea that you can bring the cat back like you're returning something to Amazon or something like that. But certainly in a case where there's physical aggression and where you, you know, cat's bites can inflict real damage. I might, you know, I'm sure I'm not alone among people listening. I have been to the emergency room a couple of times with with swollen hands. I mean, from cats who I love and, you know, getting the tetanus shot and, and the infected hand or arm or whatever the case may be. Um, so it is a legitimate concern. And I wonder if there was ever any point at which you thought to yourself, maybe this isn't going to work out. Maybe I should bring this cat back to the shelter. And, and if not, if that never was a consideration for you, why you think it is that you never thought of that or either way, I mean, whether you thought of it and obviously you did not end up bringing gypsy back, but I'm just wondering if that was ever a thought process that you had. 
Well, you know, no, it never crossed my mind, actually, not for a second. And, in fact, my girlfriend from Los Angeles was visiting um, just before uh, the pandemic and uh, Gypsy had a go at me one night and um, my girlfriend Lauren's like, oh, my God, how can you put up with that? And I said, well, what am I going to do, give her back? And I was sort of joking because I, I, it would never cross my mind to return an animal to a shelter. And, you know, I just knew that Gypsy was never going to be, you know, that sort of cuddly, tactile thing. Although once I moved into this big apartment, she would occasionally come and sit on my lap and I could pat her. And um, in the wintertime, she loved my velour dressing gown and she used to lick it and climb on my my lap with that. And um, she... She definitely got it. You know, she definitely got that she was safe with me. And um, I took a photo of her once in front of the heater and a really good friend of mine who's been a cat person all her life said, you know, that cat is so relaxed. You know, she's she knows that she's safe. So it was good to hear it from someone else. But all I ever wanted was for her to be happy. I just wanted her to feel at peace. The great thing was that I took her to my vet for something, I think just to get her nails clipped. He had to put her under um, sedation to clip her nails. And I asked if he would do a blood test. And he got the uh, information from the cat shelter. And he said, you know, they've read a marker wrong here. There is nothing wrong with her kidneys. And I was so happy. It was like one of the happiest days in my life because I'd always thought, you know, at any time she could, like, like die. And um, so there was a, um, uh, I guess, a sort of sense of relief in me that I didn't know I was carrying around. And I have a feeling that it might have been, like, because I had a different vibe in the house that maybe Gypsy felt a little more comfortable or something. I don't know. But she definitely, um, after about two years of uh, me not, not touching her, definitely, like, um, knew she was safe and crawling on my lap and I, and I could pet her. I couldn't. Uh, the only time we snuggled up in bed was about uh, two weeks before she was uh, before she died and she started um, letting me kind of put my arm around her head and sleep that way. Um, but um, she was never a, a tactile cat, although she, there were times, there were a couple of times when people would come in and she'd really take to them. Like I have a friend, Jess, and she really took to her. And I think that's because Jess is vegetarian. I, I don't know why I think that, but I know that vegetarians have a different smell. Um, so that um, she was always, always very happy to see Jess. And, um, you know, I mean, whatever made her happy made me happy, really. So, you know, that's that's basically the story of Gypsy. I mean, as I said, there were a couple of times that I was really quite frightened that she was going to do serious damage to me, but um, she never did. She was able to calm down. And that was it's just muscle memory, you know. As soon as she felt herself getting close, she knew she had to withdraw. And that was and she had to fight. She had to fight for her survival. And that's what she was doing. Sure. I, you know, what I find interesting in listening to you is, is that for as much as, as Gypsy was sometimes aggressive toward you and, and the two of you did not spend a lot of time cuddling, 
until closer to the end of her life, which I do want to talk about in a moment. Uh, but it, it is also very clear that that you loved her. And so I'm curious, just purely on that level of of what you get out of of your end of any relationship, let's say, what was it that that you got from did you just love her because she was yours or what what was it that you loved about her and about the relationship that the two of you had which was not a typical cat human close relationship i'll tell you something we as i said we had this nighttime ritual where she'd run up the hallway and jump on the bed waiting for her treat and it used to give me so much pleasure to watch her go into this sort of like like drugged out trance state, like this, like she was in a fantasy world while she was eating this treat. Oh, so good. It's so good. <laughs> like that. It, it just used to give me so much pleasure to see her do that, you know, to know that at some point in her day she was going to be transported and that used to make, oh, I have, I have shivers down my spine. I mean, that that used to give me so much pleasure to see her so happy like that. And it was only for... 10 or 15 minutes a day, but I knew at that time she was transported and she was very, very happy. So what a hard life. I mean, she'd obviously had a very hard life before she came to you. And sometimes there is that, that feeling when, when you, you look at a creature who had such a terrible life and, and you know that, that you have provided them sort of a, a warm port in the storm, I guess that, that it's, it's a very moving thing. It is. I know. I, I feel sort of upset um, talking about it because I. she was like the strangest cat I ever had and um, I missed her terribly. There was, um, in fact, uh, towards the end as she was getting sick, I wish she'd lash out at me. I wish she'd bite me, you know, because that would mean that she was sort of normal or like not sick or not on her way out or anything. So, um, yeah, it was... Um, in fact, the night before she died, she ate her treat and it was the first time she'd ever eaten it without gusto. And uh, I knew at that point that that was pretty much it. So, You know, but I think there's also, I mean, certainly a, a cat who's been a fighter and, and then is, is sick and not feeling as well is obviously not going to fight as much in, in part because they're not feeling as well. But I think there's also this kind of bottom when, when it really comes down to that that sort of bottom line, I, I think that's when a, an animal really make really makes that internal decision that where deep down they they know that you love them and can be trusted and and all of the other things that were on top of that in the day to day while they 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 had it within themselves to to always be cautious and aware they to to be tough they they kept at that facade it was definitely and my cat scarlet was also a very aloof cat with with just about everybody but me and and she and lawrence had a lot of issues when we first all started living together, but toward the end of her life, you know, she needed enough physical care that Lawrence had to help me. It was a two person job. And she started, it wasn't just that she let Lawrence come near her. I would come in sometimes and see Lawrence just reading the newspaper in bed and Scarlett would be leaning up against his leg all of a sudden. And, and it was like when push came to like Scarlett, fine. She didn't want to live with this guy. She didn't understand why all of a sudden we need to live with, you know, I think she thought Lawrence was just like the newest, biggest cat that I was forcing into her life. Um, but but when push came to shove, she she did have to acknowledge that he was a good guy who 
was on her side. And I would imagine that the same was true of, of Gypsy, that it wasn't just that she was too tired, but that she had always understood that you were her friend, you know, that, that you were there for her. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, I really like, like made a conscious effort to just vibe love and peace. And, you know, I never uh, wanted anything from her. It was real unconditional love as it is with Jeremy, you know, it's the same thing that, um, you know, he's he's very, very timid. He's hypervigilant. You know, as soon as something moves, he's like on it. He's and he's and he's quite terrified. He is quite terrified, I can tell that. And um, it may take a very long time for him to come round. And he's only a baby, he's only now about six months old. So um, I, I'm sure he will come around because at some time his muscle memory will fade of being abused and he'll realise that I've been there all along, although maybe he never will. Maybe that's just, this is just who he is and that's how he's going to be and I love him unconditionally. I mean, of course I'd love to cuddle with a cat. All of my cats until Gypsy and Jeremy have been little cuddlers and, um, you know, sitting on my lap while I was working or lying in bed on my chest or whatever. And um, uh, it is uh, it is a different relationship, but I have no expectations. I mean, when Gypsy started uh, loving those treats, um, there'd been nothing in her life that transported her. I mean, I could tell she was okay, you know, I could tell she was okay by the fire, I could tell she was okay sitting on the couch. Uh, if she wasn't on the couch, she'd be in the bedroom. I mean, I knew she was okay, but for those few minutes of that treat, I knew that she was the happiest cat on the planet and that that was great. And um, I started uh, giving them those nighttime treats to Jeremy, but I don't always do it in the bedroom because I don't want that to be a a cue like it was for Gypsy. I want him to uh, never really know when it's coming. So he, do you know what I mean? It's like, sure. like um, he's, he's, he's still really timid. So his food is still in the bedroom. Uh, the first week he was under the bed. The second week he was on top of the bed. And as soon as he is, um, he's not ready to eat in the kitchen yet. But um, he will be at some point when when the hypervigilance is over and he doesn't feel he has to protect his food. I'd really rather that he um, ate in the kitchen and not in the bedroom. Um, but that's going to be totally his call when he when I when he's ready for it. I'll know that he's ready for it and I can move his food. I think sometimes, you know, and again, and, and I don't want to draw too many parallels insofar as, again, Scarlett had not been abused to my knowledge. She was really only three or four weeks old when when I took her. Um, so but she she was also a very aloof cat. And it was really it was a few years before she became cuddly with me. Although we we did arrive at an understanding pretty early on once I got past she was the first cat I'd ever lived with. And once I got and I had grown up with dogs. So once I got past my expectations of what an animal, especially a kitten living with me, was supposed to be like. And and I actually wrote this in in my life in a cat house. But one of the lessons that I really learned from Scarlett is that, yes, it is. It is wonderful. I, I think any animal lover 
adopts an, an animal feeling that this is going to enhance their life. I, I couldn't imagine my life without any animals in it. But the real reason to adopt a, a cat or a dog is to give them a good life on, yes. and on whatever terms those may be. And and it is sort of almost as a reaction or incidentally to that, that uh, that your life becomes better. But they are not there to entertain you or to make you feel a certain way or to behave in, in the ways that you want them to. The, the obligation is really the other way. You have to be there to give them the life that they deserve on the terms that they need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I um, I mean, I when I was in L.A., I had um, this baby, baby little kitten. A guy brought brought, um, Kitty into where I was working and he found them in a box and um, there were three of them and I took one and I talked to two other people uh, who I worked with into taking them. Neither of them had ever had a cat before. And, uh, I mean, these kittens were so young, I mean, a week, 10 days and they really needed like hand feeding and um and definitely uh kitty uh, uh cuddled up to me i mean she the first night she slept on my pillow and she never left and um i and uh shirley in new york i mean all or i mean zara excuse me in new york and and shirley in miami were always cuddly cats who always loved sort of curling up next to me or on my lap or something. So it's to have um, two cats that are not like that, where I've I've made the choice to take them on. Um, I, you know, it's just yeah. I mean, I'm I I have uh, you know I don't have any children and. Um, even though I've got nieces and nephews, it's not the same thing. And my um, cats are really, you know, they get the love that I would have given to a child, I suppose. And um, they, uh, and they're, you know, I just, as I said, I just vibe love, I vibe comfort, I make sure they've got plenty to eat and um, anything they want. And um, I am, they are in my world, so I, I can be in their world. Do you feel that it's, and I'm not trying to, to put words in your mouth, I really am curious about this, uh, because it, again, going back to Scarlett, I always felt that because we we had to sort of get to know each other, it was not just the, you're uh, you're my person, you're my cat, and, and we're now in love. It, it was a real process over a period of time where we kind of, we we had to learn to grow into a kind of relationship, and I always say that I loved all my cats the same. You know, I love them equally in different ways. Uh, but that was really the the bond that I had with Scarlett was that it was a relationship that we worked toward over a period of time. And that really was its own unique thing because we, it, we the two of us, based on our specific personalities, had to build it together. And I, I wonder because I, I know, I mean, I know that you lost Gypsy recently and I do know how devastated you were. And I think a lot of people listening to your story would say it was lovely that she accepted this cat who abused her and attacked her and, and didn't cuddle with her. But how much of a loss is that really? And and obviously, I, I know how devastated you were. And so there was obviously a, a unique and special bond between the two of you. And I wonder if you think it was because of or despite the fact that that it was a little bit of rough going initially. 
Well, my feeling is that you you love someone for who they are, not in spite of it. And um, I well said, by I, the way. <laughs> <laughs> Very well said. I, uh, thank you. I um, I loved her. I still miss her terribly. I still go into the bedroom expecting her to be on the bed. And Jeremy will never take her place. You know, I, I love Jeremy already. He's only been here three weeks and he's just this darling little thing. And But my relationship with Gypsy was so different than any other cat I'd ever had before. And I knew that I was giving her something she'd never had before. And it was a very, it was a very, very, very special relationship. I mean, even my vet used to sort of say, uh, ask me like how I coped because, as I said, he'd have to put her under anaesthetic to even clip her nails. I mean, she just would not be touched. And um, although she she did over the years allow me to touch her, but it was always her call, like she climbed onto my lap or she climbed into bed close enough for me to touch her or whatever, it was, was always her call. And I have to remind myself with Jeremy, he's so cute and so young and I have to remind myself that he has to come to me, you know. I can't reach out for him, that it's got to be his call when he's ready. And um, But my bond with Gypsy was very, very special, I mean, because I knew that I had taken her from this sort of almost feral monster to um, someone who could be hand-fed treats at night. So, uh, yeah, it was a very special. And not that I haven't loved all my cats, as you say, and I feel like I love them all equally, but I had a very special relationship with Gypsy. And as you know, I was devastated when she got sick and ultimately died. I mean, I I cried for three weeks nonstop. I, I mean, you know, everyone at work was kind of like, well, you know, we were working from home because of the pandemic, which was a good thing because I could be with her all the time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was dev- when I lost Gypsy, what, I just backtrack, because I've lived in so many different places, I've usually left my cat with someone and moved on to, like, another city or, well, usually another continent. Uh, with the exception of my new New York cats, that was Zara and Alice, and um, I took them to my ex-boyfriend's home in, in Argentina, and they lived out their lives on the farm, so they were very happy. But generally, I I was the one that had left, and it never crossed my mind what it was going to be like without Gypsy. I was, like, so focused on making sure she was okay and was comfortable and uh, I ju- it just never, because it's never happened to me before. I'm the one that's left. But this time I was, I was here by myself without Gypsy and it was just, it wasn't depressing. It was just overwhelmingly sad. It was just sad. No, that first loss is the, I mean, when I, the the first one of my cats who I lost there, there is a special pain when it, when it's the first loss. Um, I mean, the first one of my cats I lost was my cat Vashti. And that was the hardest one again, not because I loved her the most, but because I was really not prepared sort of, I, I had never been through it before. And, and it really, it is just this wave kind of that that overwhelms you and really knocks you down and and takes the wind out of you for a little while. Um, 
but I'm I'm wondering, and and you know, before we wrap up, I I and this is something you and I discussed before we we started recording, uh, but just this idea of maybe you know if there's anybody out there who is considering taking on a special needs cat or particularly a cat with with psychological or or emotional special needs. Uh, then we would have done a good thing here today if we can kind of tip the balance in that cat's favor. And so what would you say to somebody who's listening to this and thinking, you know, it sounds like a wonderful and noble and rewarding thing to do, but I'm not sure if I could stand to live with a cat who didn't like me or didn't want me to touch them. What what would you say to someone who's considering this but is maybe on the fence? I would say be very, very, very clear that you don't expect anything back. That's what I would say. You have to, like, understand that this is a cat that may never give you what a bond with an animal gives you, and you have to be okay with that, and you have to want to give this cat a fabulous life. And if you if you don't think you can do that, don't do it. Would you say, and I feel like I know the answer to this question, but it, it bears it bears saying, would you say that in your particular case that ultimately it was worth it? Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, my my bond with Gypsy was extraordinary, and um, I'll never ever forget. You know the beautiful, like happy moments she had. Um, and I think with Jeremy, when they said that he had, you know, like psychological problems and they didn't didn't want me to adopt him without living with him for a couple of weeks, um, I, just, uh, I just knew that um, the universe had brought him to me. I mean, when you think of all the planets that had to align, it started with my friend who made a donation to the RSPCA. You know, and then I called them and then, you know what I mean? There's like so many planets that had to align for Jeremy and I. All great love stories are, are meant to be, right? They, yeah. uh, they they always have that sense of being fated. Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, um, I, I, I don't know if he exactly chose me, but I definitely chose him knowing that there would be the quote unquote normal limitations and um Maybe I had to go through that with Gypsy in order to cut Jeremy a wide berth. I, I, I don't know, but it's it's not it's it it doesn't feel unnatural to me. It feels like, yeah, sure, why not? You know, I'll take him, I'll look after him. But as I said, you've got to have like no expectations. I mean, there are times when I've wanted to reach out to him because he looks like he's um like peaceful enough. Like at the moment he's sleeping in the cat tree. And um, there are times that I think, oh, yeah, I could just give him a little cuddle or, you know, give him a little, like, pet him or something. And then I have to remember that I absolutely cannot touch him, that he has got to come to me when he's ready to do it, as Gypsy did. Oh, such excruciating self-control not to pet a kitten that's in the room. You are uh, a better woman than I am. (laughs) And I don't know if I could manage it. Melanie... The one or two times that I've actually done it without thinking, he's been so terrified that um, I'm like so conscious of it now. Now, of course, that makes it easier to uh, to to not scare him. Well, listen, I we I I think we we all certainly wish you and Jeremy many long and and happy years together and a growing bond. And and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and and telling us your story. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's really a pleasure to talk to you. We haven't really had a chance to chat. Although just one thing I will say, Gwen, before we leave is you sent me an absolutely beautiful letter when Gypsy was dying and um, I gave a copy of it to the uh, specialist who was looking after at Sydney University and to my own vet. And I said, if you have anybody that has a cat that is on its way out, please show them this letter. Well, I, 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 I see, I, I almost had this urge to make a joke like, oh, I just found that in a fortune cookie. You took it seriously, but no, <laughs> seriously, um, you know, it, it really is, I, I think, the most universal experience that we all go through, right? As, as I mean, it is a, all of our relationships, all of our relationships and, and are as different ultimately as, as all of our individual cats are, but, but the end in a way is always the same, I think for all of us. And, um, and, and I was, I had been through it and I was, I was very sorry for your loss. I really was. Um, but I, I, I thank you for, for coming here and, and talking to us about it. And yeah, uh, absolutely. And, you know, if any of your listeners want to talk to me about it, um, um, they can, you know, find me on Facebook or, you know, you feel free to give them my contact details sure. and, um, you know, they can tell me uh, what their uh, fears are and I can either allay them or tell them I don't think they're ready. Not that I'm an expert on it, but. but you, you will know. probably be the only Melanie Morningstar <laughs> on Facebook, <laughs> I'm guessing. <laughs> I was thinking of Marjorie um, Morningstar, but, uh, but that is. There's actually a Melanie Morningstar in Canada who is um, American Indian or Canadian Indian. So, All right. So, so anybody listening, you should not, if, if the Melanie Morningstar you find on Facebook is in Canada, then you have, you are looking for the Melanie Morningstar in Australia. Right. Um, thank you so much, Melanie, really for, for coming on the podcast. And uh, when you are, when it is safe to do so someday in the distant future, please uh, give, give Jer- Jeremy a, a pat on the head for us. I will. Absolutely. It will be my pleasure. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. I look forward to seeing you next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.